What's up, cell phone addicts, and welcome back to another episode of the Mars Orbit podcast. It is currently that time of year again when us students are stressing over finals and having to regurgitate useless facts that our teachers shove down our throat. But enough ranting about the failures of the U.S. public education system, and let's get into our topic for today's episode. Today, we are going to be counting down the top five canceled NASA projects, and this is going to be in no particular order, by the way. So without further ado, let's get into it. Our first program on today's list is going to be Big G. The Gemini program of the mid-1960s is one of the lesser-known NASA programs among the general public, as it acted as a stepping stone between the famous Mercury and Apollo programs. But just because it is lesser-known does not necessarily mean that it is boring. In fact, it features the most audacious and groundbreaking missions ever flown. With two astronauts being strapped into the cockpit around the size of a Honda Civic, the Gemini program wrapped up a heap of space first. These included the first American spacewalk, long-duration spaceflight, orbital rendezvous and docking, as well as the first time a spacecraft was flitted with fuel cells and a programmable computer. So yeah, you could say it was kind of insane. Wanting to build on the immense success of this program, McDonnell Douglas, the manufacturer, drew up plans for a smaller spacecraft. Dubbed Big G, Gemini was supersized to carry nine astronauts. It would have definitely been the F-150 of space, because, you know, Americans sure love their trucks. Since military bucks do keep the spaceflight ball rolling, it would have been designed to carry astronauts to and from a planned military space station. It consisted of the normal two-person Gemini capsule on the front where the pilots would sit. Behind it would be a crew compartment that would hold seven astronauts. It could also be potentially used as a cargo compartment since there is a lot more than just people that need to be delivered to a space station, since goods are an important part of running a space station and sustaining human life in space. The program did advance relatively far, as it did get preliminary funding. McDonnell Douglas was able to drop detailed plans for the project and even went as far as building a full-size mock-up to show NASA how the capsule would work. However, the military space station was put on hold, and as such, the program was dropped in 1971 in favor of the space shuttle, which will be a common theme throughout this, vi- throughout this podcast. It was probably for the best that the program was canceled, as having a military space station space would most likely have flared tensions between the U.S. and the USSR, where already were extremely tense given that this was during the height of the Cold War. And two egomaniacs getting annoyed at one another is certainly not a good thing. The idea of a large crew capsule to transport astronauts never died. This has come back in recent years with the commercial crew programs, such as the Crew Dragon capsule, which can carry up to seven astronauts. Another fascinating canceled NASA mission was the Aerover Blimp, which would have flown around the skies of Titan and even land on some surfaces. If it did leap off of the drawing board, it would have been certainly been spinning its days flying around Titan, the largest of Saturn's moons. The Cassini program was really instrumental in showing just how interesting Titan is as the only moon in our solar system which has an atmosphere, that we know of, of course. So there is a high probability that there could be life having it, and it is certainly one of the places where scientists are looking to find life, and it really helps that it is in, in our cosmic backyard. 
Wanting to learn more about the information that Titan held, in the late 1990s, NASA tasked the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, or JPL, in coming up with ideas for a dedicated Titan Explorer. The idea that they came up with was a blimp in collaboration with the American Blimp Corporation. The Zeppelin was known as the Aerover Blimp, and would have been about 33 feet in length and about 8 feet in diameter. According to JPL, it was roughly the length and height of a stretch limousine. The blimp would be filled with helium, and which was used because it is the second lightest element, element and inert, which eliminates the danger of the explosion, since we really do not want it turning into a Hindenburg 2.0 on Titan. The blimp would have had the ability to fly at 10 kilometers in altitude, or about 6 miles, and would circumnavigate the moon about every 2 or, week, two or 3 weeks. Additional flotation for the blimp would be provided by liquid methane oceans which are on Titan's surface. It would have had a small inflatable well on the bottom to provide a cushion on landing on rocks, ice, or other surfaces, so that it could deploy its scientific instruments. Having a blimp on Titan would have been a really great way for NASA and the scientific community to figure more about what lies in the upper opaque clouds of Titan that prevent us from viewing it from Earth. It would have been primarily focused on using instruments that would indicate the presence of a rich organic atmosphere since this could be a precursor to finding the building blocks for complex organic compounds, which are what first helped kickstart the process of evolution here on Earth, or more simply, aliens. Many scientists do speculate that the present-day conditions on Titan may be similar to Earth billions of years ago, and thus by observing it, we'll be better able to unwrap the secrets of how life on Earth developed. Despite being initially released in 2001, the Aeroview blimp was still in consideration until just a couple of years ago, until it was dropped in favor of Dragonfly. Dragonfly is essentially the mutant child of Perseverance in an octocopter. It will embark to Titan in 2026 and land in 2027 or to perform a similar mission for the Aerover blimp. And I personally cannot wait for that insane mission to take place since it will surely be really, really awesome to see powered flight on not two, but three celestial bodies in our solar system. And I have no doubt that NASA and JPL, as well as all the skilled engineers and scientists that they have working for them, will be able to do it. Since they've been proven time and time again that they are able to devise successful solutions as well as to execute them in order to do missions that many space agencies around the world have yet to accomplish or have not even dreamed of doing. Another super fascinating canceled NASA project are massive moon buggies. So I think pretty much everyone, regardless of their interest in space, knows about the moon buggies from the Apollo 15, 16, and 17 missions which were folded up below the lander and deployed upon contact. Since the astronauts were on the moon for such a limited amount of time, they really were helpful in allowing astronauts to explore more the moon's surface, which such limited time that they had. However, NASA originally envisioned something much larger and heavier than what did eventually go to the moon. Enter the Mobile Geological Laboratory, or MOLAB for short. Dreamed up by NASA and General Motors, this was essentially a supersized and pressurized version of the LRVs. A prototype was produced in 1965 and came in at over 20 feet in length and weighed more than 4 tons. So yeah, you could say that this beast was for sure a little chonky. So chonky in fact that it would have needed to hitch a ride on its own Saturn V to get to the moon. It would have been capable on sustaining astronauts for over two weeks if it would have been deployed to the moon. 
and as the name implies, it would serve as a geological laboratory to help unwrap the secrets of the moon's geological makeup. A modified Corvair engine was packed under the hood, which gave it a top speed of 21 miles per hour and a range of more than 60 miles. Ultimately, the program was shelved in favor of the much more practical and iconic moon buggy design. But a lucky few did have the amazing opportunity in order to test drive them in the New Mexico desert before its decommissioning. And as you can see, it is, is a precursor to the pretty rad Mars rover concept which we got from NASA, which looks like it was taken straight out of Blade Runner. However, that design is rather impractical, and I don't think that we are ever going to see a Mars rover that looks quite exactly like that. I know some people have been advocates for the Cybertruck as being a Mars rover, but I think that would also be pretty impractical as well. Next up on our list is the space shuttle launching from Vandenberg Air Force Base in Central California. The space shuttle and the Kennedy Space Center go hand in hand with one another, and it is almost impossible to separate the two from another. But there were plans for West Coast space shuttle launches which were almost brought into reality. And as a resident of Southern California and Los Angeles, I personally support this very much, since I can see many of the Vandenberg launches from my own backyard. A secondary role for the space shuttle was to perform classified missions for the United States Department of Defense, and it was military capabilities of the space shuttle which spurred the rival Buran program in the Soviet Union. Since the USSR feared that the United States would be able to deploy military equipment to space and would have an immense advantage over them in spying as well in a future conflict. In order to launch the space satellites for the Department of Defense, polar orbits were needed to be achieved. And after trying to reach them from the Cape and failing before the Apollo program, the DoD petitioned to Congress in order to build in order to in order to build Space Launch Complex 6 at the newly built Vandenberg Air Force Base in order to accommodate the Titan III rocket. Fast forward to the 1980s, and the same issue was of course prevalent with the space shuttle. Therefore, in 1986, Slick 6, or which was what Space Launch Complex 6 became, began to be known as, was rebuilt in order to accommodate the space shuttle. Over $4 billion was put into modifications for the space shuttle. The mobile service tower was lowered in height, with two flame ducts being added for the shuttle solid rock, rocket boosters. Liquid hydrogen and oxygen tanks were added, a payload preparation room, a payload change-out room, a new launch tower with an escape system for the crew, as well as a sound suppression system and a water reclamation system were all built near the launch pad. The 5,500-foot runway was lengthened to nearly 3 miles, or about 15,000 feet, to accommodate in the mission landings, as well as for the space shuttle to be transported in on the back of one of NASA's two modified 747s. If the space shuttle were to land at this runway, in fact, it would have rattled the city of San Francisco and the Bay Area with sonic booms when it landed. And you could certainly say that NASA and the FAA would have certainly received more than a couple of phone calls from a few angry Karens. After all the modifications were completed and Slick 6 was declared operational, an acceptance ceremony commenced on October 15, 1985. However, much additional work and testing was needed to be done. Thus, the prototype orbiter Enterprise was obtained and mated to the external tank with mock SRBs, and it was used for a series of fit checks. 
it led to some pretty awesome photos, which I'm sure that many of you have seen, of Enterprise adjacent to Red Launch Tower towering over the central California coast. The inaugural polar orbit flight was soon designated as STS-62A, and it was announced that it would have been using Discovery. It even went so far as to get a commander, which was announced at the commencement ceremony on October 15, 1985. However, disaster soon struck on January 28, 1986, when the Challenger disaster occurred and the Space Shuttle fleet was grounded. Space Shuttle launches were put on hold for over two years, with Slick 6 being put into a caretaker status. It sat in limbo for several years until the termination of the West Coast Space Shuttle program on December 26, 1989. Six months later, Lockheed won a contract to turn it in into a Titan IV slash a Centaur launch complex. However, that was soon canceled with it serving as a launch complex for numerous different rockets until 2011. Then, it was announced that it would be taken over by the Delta IV Heavy Rocket in order to launch missions for the National Reconnaissance Office, which is an office in the DoD which specializes in operating and launching America's spy satellites. With the announced retirement of the Delta IV Heavy coming up in a few years, the status of the future of Slick 6 is again in a state of uncertainty. However, it can only be assumed that it will be repurposed in order to serve another new commercial launch rocket. It could potentially serve as a launch pad for the Vulcan rocket, and it will again stay in operation with ULA, or it may switch companies to a new launch provider for Vandenberg Air Force Base. Our fifth and final most interesting canceled NASA project is Space Station Freedom. When the Apollo program was beginning to die down in the late 1960s, there were numerous proposals in order to replace it. The frontrunners for it were a crewed mission to Mars using systems similar to that that were used in the Apollo program. And just like a mission to Mars, a permanent space station was a major goal, as well as the proposed space logistics vehicle to cheaply for space, transport crews and cargo to this new space station, the latter of which would have come into form as the space shuttle. These plans were taken to then-President Richard Nixon, who was battling a major federal funding deficit at the time, or in more simpler terms, the federal government was spending way more money than it was making from tax revenue. Thus, one concept had to be chosen. And after much debate from NASA, the space logistics program was selected, which would eventually evolve into the space shuttle. Those plans never really changed, and when the space shuttle was completed, NASA proposed the creation of a space station, which then NASA Minister James Beggs described as the next logical step. In some ways, this would be meant to be a U.S. answer to the Soviet space station mirror. The plans for this station were dubbed Space Station Freedom, because, you know, outer space sure has a severe deficit of freedom. The plans for it called to be a repair shop for satellites, assembly point for spacecraft, observation point for astronomers, microgravity lab for scientists, as well as to contain a microgravity factory for companies. The latter of which would hopefully have helped NASA to offset the immense operating costs of this station. It would be much grander in scale to what the ISS ever was. With the Reagan admit inauguration coming up, NASA created a database of thousands of possible missions and payloads in order to inform design. Thus, several design concepts were created. 
The first was the Power Tower, which had a long central keel with the massive structures on one end and solar panels on the other. The end with the greater amount of mass we pointed towards Earth in order to reduce the amount of thruster firing required. However, a feasibility study concluded that it would have had a high development cost with high long-term operating costs. Thus, in 1987, it was changed into the revised baseline configuration. For those of you who have no knowledge of space station freedom, this is the concept is what most people think about when they think of freedom, and it is most similar to the ISS that we currently have orbiting above our heads. It was concluded that it would have a dual keel system, with the massive structures in the middle and with solar panels on either end, so basically just the ISS. The plans for Space Station Freedom would have included two construction phases, with Phase 1 providing all of the essential modulars and the transverse boom, with the keels and the solar panels being added in Phase 2. The solar panels would provide about 75 kilowatts of power. A feasibility study concluded that it would be a viable design with the development cost being about $15.3 billion, which is of course in 1989 dollars. It would be significantly more in 2020 due to inflation and all that fun stuff. NASA aimed to fly five shuttles to the station per year, with the average cruise date being for about 180 days. In 1989, NASA signed hardware fabrication contracts for the Space Station Freedom, and it was finally moving into the hardware fabrication phase. It was modified as the NASA budget was cut by about 300 million US dollars. It was also found that the current design would run over budget and be about 23% overweight, which is fairly typical with most NASA projects being over budget in some form. With more budget cuts on the horizon, NASA's space station freedom was killed, and NASA went back to the drawing board. Three concepts were developed, with this, with the one being chosen was Stubbs Space Station Alpha. Alpha would use 75% of the same material as freedom. In 1993, calls were made to receive international investment for the project, which led to the newly independent state of Russia being brought onto the project. European and Japanese modules as well as investment for the project were soon incorporated, and thus the Alpha name was dropped. Instead, the current concept became the International Space Station, and was created with construction beginning in 1989. And unlike many of the canceled NASA projects on this list, Space Station Freedom eventually evolved into something that is very real and is orbiting right above our heads. And it is something that is super, super exciting that we actually got to see a NASA-designed space station come into fruition again. So, what did you guys think today of us counting down the top 5 most interesting canceled NASA projects? And which one of the canceled projects that we discussed today was your favorite? And which one of your projects that we didn't discuss is your personal favorite as well? Again, if you are listening on Spotify and can leave some feedback for us down below, that would be super awesome. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, as new episodes will be coming out about every two weeks or so. And again, my apologies for coming out with an episode a, three, a week late this time because I did have finals with school and then I do have super bad allergies, so I really was not feeling great this weekend. In fact, I tried to record this episode and I couldn't get through it without coughing a bajillion times. But I'm feeling much better, which is great, and I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And just remember... 
it is okay to like more than one rocket. See you guys in two weeks.